Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you who are joining us online. I hope you've got a nice mug of something in your hands. We'll have ours in a bit. I hope you've had a good, good week. Um, I was in London this week, uh, speaking somewhere midweek. Low light of my week, left my iPad there. Oh, I know. I am so scatty. I know loads of you know that about me. It drives my husband mad. Um, so we are finishing our first mini-series on uh, courageous resistance this morning. As Simon said, it's our theme for the year is courageous resistance for those of you that are joining us or visiting us this morning. And we're going to be dipping in and out of it throughout the year. This, we've been doing a little three-week series and... Uh, Tim put up a picture a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm afraid I haven't got it here, back here, even though I live in the same house as he is, as, as he does, of a salmon that was um, powering its way upstream as a brilliant picture of resistance, a, a fish going against the current, as um, a, a, a picture and a metaphor of this life that Jesus has called us to live, a life that is a radically different one. He invites us to follow him and to turn and follow uh, against the crowd, against the flow of culture. So using Daniel, a man who lived a life of phenomenal impact, uh, we as our inspiration and assuming that we don't just want to flow downstream with the rest of the dead salmon, who are the ones that go with the flow, uh, we've been looking at some of the choices that Daniel has made, that Daniel made in his life, that enabled him to swim upstream and pursue the purposes of God for his life, to walk into the plans that God had for him and to live this life of impact. Two weeks ago, we were looking at resisting compromise. Last week, we were looking at resisting fear. For those of you that like titles to this week, I have called this week's message, Resisting Short-Sightedness. I met a friend in town this week on his way back from the optician, and he was chuffed to bits that having been for an eye test, his short-sightedness was improving. I don't know how that happens, but he was really, really pleased. Don't know how many people in here are short-sighted. I know some of us will be. Um, sadly, I'm not, although I couldn't use that to, uh, as an excuse of uh, why I drove down the wrong street a few years ago, and my son screamed in panic at me because I hadn't paid any attention to the signs driving down the wrong way. Um, just to clarify, for those of you that aren't short-sighted, it is a condition that means you can see what's up close to you very clearly, but you can't see what's in the distance. It's much more blurred. I found a couple of pictures uh, put together by some kind of the College of Optometrists. If you're driving a car and you're short-sighted, apparently that's what it looks like. You can see you know, the cyclist and your dashboard, but what's up in the distance is much more blurred. And if you show the next slide, which is what it would look like if you had glasses on, you can see that there are actually cars in the other lanes that uh, you might not see if you're driving and you're short-sighted and you're not wearing your glasses. <laughs> I read about a, ma about a man this week who uh, he tried eating his hearing aid because he mistook it for a cashew nut because he was short-sighted. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be a bit of an extreme example of the trouble we might get into when we're short-sighted. Probably a bit of an extreme case. Although apparently John Lennon, don't know if there are any Beatles fans in here, slightly before my time, but I love their music. Uh, Paul McCartney recounts the story of John Lennon turning up uh, to visit him one morning. And John Lennon describes having been out down the street in winter at midnight the night before and was bemused to have discovered this family on the pavement playing cards. And Paul McCartney was so intrigued, he decided to go out the next night and see what was going on. And it turns out it was a nativity scene. And John, <laughs> and John Lennon just didn't have his glasses on. Well, I'm going to suggest that there is a spiritual equivalent of short-sightedness. 
that we can be spiritually short-sighted. And to live a life of courageous resistance, we actually need to learn how to resist, to resist living short-sightedly in order, like Daniel, to be able to fulfill the plans and purposes for, that he has for us, to live the lives of impact that we want to live, and to pursue him in the way we want to follow him. So we're going to look at this from the life of Daniel, our man for the moment. So if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to open to, uh, to the passage for today, Daniel 7. We're, the first six chapters, just while you're getting ch Daniel chapter 7 out, are historical ones. We, we, are look, we were looking at the, uh, well, we looked at a couple of events, scenarios in Daniel's life. From, from da chapter 7 till the end of the book, it becomes more prophetic. We get into Daniel's visions and dreams. It becomes a bit more apop apocalyptic in nature. We're not going to dive in too deeply. We're just going to pull out a few verses of chapter 7. But this is considered one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Not just in the book of Daniel, in the book of the Old Testament. Because of what Daniel sees in his vision, in his dream. So, at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1... We've got some context for it. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. Now, quick pause there. Last week we were looking at Daniel's, Daniel in the lion's den, which was in the previous chapter, chapter 6. But we've actually stepped back in time. And this dream and this vision happens before, probably 16, 17, 18 years before Daniel ends up in the lion's den. We're back under the rule of Belshazzar, not under King Darius, which is when he was in the lion's den. So Daniel had a dream. Visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed, and he wrote down the substance of them. And then we're not going to dig into them. You can read them at home over, over lunch, or you can talk about them over coffee. If, you've read the, if you're familiar with this chapter, there were visions of four beasts, which, which commentators are agreed on, represent four different kingdoms. There's lots of arguments about whether they've already happened, whether they're going to be prophetic, uh, rising and falling of kingdoms in the future, and what Daniel sees these beasts do. And it's all a bit you know, nasty, and it's expanded uh, in the rest of the dream. Uh, and there are these earthly powers, and there's battle, and whatever. It's, hist it's historical what's going to happen on earth. And then he carries on. As I looked, verse 9... <clears throat> Thrones were set in place. So this is after the, the last kingdom in this vision. The last beast, uh, which, is the, which is the worst one, rises out of the sea. After that, thrones were set in place. You might want to allow your imagination to sort of be, I don't know, fired by this, this narrative. And the Ancient of Days, talking about God the Father, not that he's old, but that he's eternal. The Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And then a couple of verses on in verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Do you remember who called himself the son of man? This is 500 years before he came. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days. He was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Pretty epic few verses, isn't it? Wouldn't you just love to see that with your, you know, actual eyes? I know I would. I mean, I'd probably be a bit awe-inspiring as well, you know, a bit terrifying in some ways. But I, if we were watching this in the cinema and it was kind of unravelling, you know, the m- music would be really loud, wouldn't it? This would be climactic music going on behind it. It's literally like this veil is being pulled back. Has anyone seen The Wizard of Oz? No, yeah. It was one of my favourite films as a child. And it's like when Dorothy goes to see the wizard at the end and, you know, the veil is pulled back and it's just this little old man and it's all rather disappointing. This is the opposite, isn't it? The veil is being pulled back and there's this incredible power centre, you know, the centre at the, 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 uh, the of the universe, this power centre, God's throne room, this courtroom at the centre of the universe just being revealed behind the curtain. And Daniel's being given a glimpse of what's going to happen, not just in the future on earth, as history unravels on earth, but what's going to happen at the end of time when God blows the whistle and calls time on earth. He's being given long sight, isn't he? He's being given a view into the distance. He's being enabled to see clearly what's down the road, not what's just in front of him. And as we've read, he sees God as the ancient of days in a throne room where there's fire everywhere. But it's also a courtroom and the books are opened. Now, for the most of the Old Testament, we learn about God's sovereignty inside Israel, the nation of Israel. Here, Daniel is being given a glimpse of God's sovereignty over the whole earth. And not just God's whole, uh, sovereignty over the whole earth, but God's sovereignty over the future, over earth and humankind. And that everything that happens now and that goes on to happen tomorrow and next week and next year and in 2024 is under the sovereignty of God. It's somehow under his control. And it's like God is giving Daniel, the Holy Spirit is giving Daniel in this moment the ability to correct his short-sightedness of whatever's going on in the kingdom of Belshazzar and whatever Daniel's thinking about and, and, and wrestling with to connect it to this bigger, longer term context. He was living in exile. We've, we've been reminded about that. The Jews were in exile. He was serving a foreign king who didn't follow his God. You know, no doubt he, like the rest of us, from day to day, had many concerns that he wrestled with God with. And maybe everything that lay in the future to Daniel was a complete blur. I'm sure he had his days of thinking, Lord, we've been in exile for ages. When are you going to show up and do, do something and, and set us free? I'm sure he had his days of wondering whether God was going to answer their prayers. I'm sure he had his days of questioning whether God had just abandoned them in exile. Maybe he questioned whether God had a plan to make everything right, to bring restoration, to fulfill some of the promises that God had made. I don't know. But then one night, the Holy Spirit shows him this. One evening, the Holy Spirit peels back the veil. And it's like he says, Daniel, you're looking at what's going on around you right now. You're looking at what's going on with what you can see with your human eyes. But look, look at what's up ahead in the distance. Look what's coming. 
And look who's, who's over it all. And I have to say, as I've looked at this passage, I'm pretty convinced that the, that the resisting of the fear that we were talking about last week, the resisting of that fear that ended up meaning Daniel had a sleepover with those lions, I'm pretty convinced that the courage to resist was connected to the fact that Daniel had had this vision and could see the Ancient of Days sitting in his throne room in control of ultimately everything that happened on the earth and that one day his power and his majesty and everything that belongs to him would be revealed and put right. So let's just talk about how these verses that were written two and a half thousand years ago, how what Daniel saw might be relevant to us in 21st century Cheltenham. Because, of course, if it's in God's Bible, it's got to have something to say to us today. I just want to pull out two things. Firstly, and I don't know about you, but I need reminding about this all the time. No matter how bad things get, no matter how out of control things feel in our lives at any point in time, they are never beyond the Father's control. That's what this picture is reminding Daniel of the king in his throne room, of the judge in his courtroom. It's a picture of sovereignty. It's a picture of power. It's a picture of majesty. So whether it's on a personal level, on a national level, or an international level, whether it's the stuff that we see in our news headlines, whether it's the, the, the climate crises, the political crises, the um, you know, wars, famines, the stuff that threatens us in all kinds of ways on a huge international or national scale, whether it's the, the stuff in our personal lives, our family crises, you know, the fact that I'm you know, super challenged in my work life, the challenges in our health, the supreme heartbreak that we end up with in different seasons, God is in control. That's what this vision, that's what the Holy Spirit was reminding Daniel about through this vision. God is in control. He can be trusted. He has got it covered. He knows about the struggle. He knows about the difficulty. He knows about the pain. He knows about the challenge. He knows about the injustice. He knows about it all, and he cares. Two of my boys love playing chess, and they'll often sit down, and they also love playing backgammon, and, and I've, you know, I have a mental picture of them often you know, sitting on opposite sides of a board, looking very carefully, you know, where are they going to move their piece next, you know, whether it's backgammon or whether it's chess. This isn't saying that God is looking at, at you know, all of our lives in, in every detail and moving pieces and that absolutely everything that happens is, is what he causes to happen and he's in control of every detail. It's not saying that. God has given us free will to make, an awful, to make all kinds of choices and our world is a mess because of the choices that we as humans make. But this is a picture of saying that over and above all of that, he is able to work his purposes out. And that for those of us who love him, he can work those purposes out for our good. And that one day, one day he is going to reveal what he's been doing and the fulfillment of his purposes so that everybody can see what he's been doing. And everything, justice will be revealed. Every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will go. 
And as it said in that last verse that we read, the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. I don't know about you, uh, you, what you're like when you're watching films. My daughter is somebody, when we're watching a film, we often find her on Wikipedia in the middle of the film because she likes to know how the film is going to end. Especially if it's a scary film or it's, you know, it's a bit tense or things aren't going quite the way she wants them to go. She's out there Googling what happens at the end of the film because then she can relax while she's watching the rest of the film. That's what Daniel, that's what God has shown Daniel here, the end of the film. He's shown him how it's all going to end, knowing that if Daniel would see how it was all going to end, it would make a difference to how he was able to live in the day-to-day. Second thing to pull out, which I don't think very, we talk about very often, is that one day we are all going to stand in this throne room. One day we are going to stand in this courtroom before God. I don't know what dates you have in your diary at the moment, whether they're dates that you're looking forward to or dates that you're not looking forward to. Maybe it's a friend's birthday or a baby shower or, a, I don't know, a wedding you're going to or a holiday or a spa day that you've got booked in. January seems to be the month where we book in dates, isn't it, where we're planning holidays, the next things to look forward to. Maybe there are some other dates in your diary that you're not looking forward to, like a doctor's appointment or an exam or, you know, you've got mocks or whatever. But friends, there's a date in God's diary when what Daniel saw is going to happen. It's on his wall calendar in heaven. And there is a date that one day each of us, for each of us, we are going to stand before him and we are going to give an account for the way that we've lived. We don't talk about it very often, but the Bible makes it clear. And God is so kind. He's such a loving father. Instead of springing, us, springing this on us you know, at the end of time or when we go to meet him, he's told us about it. He's told us about it in his word so that we know it's going to happen. Here are some New Testament verses saying the same thing. Here's Romans chapter 14, verses 10 and 12. Remember, Paul is saying, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Revelation 20 says a similar thing. Verse 12, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books, do you remember Daniel saw the books being opened? And the books were opened including the book of life. We will stand before God to be judged. I hope you know that, friends. It's not a terribly comfortable thing to say. But we, you know, we're interested. Jesus promises that it's the truth that will set us free. He leads us into truth. We need to be truthful about everything that God says. I hope you know that. I hope you've read that. Now, just to be clear... The Bible makes it clear that we will be, um, there will be two dimensions, as it were, to this judgment. There will be two dimensions to this standing in front of his throne. The first will be the dimension that relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. What did we do with Jesus? What did we do with his offer of forgiveness? What did we do with his offer of relationship? What did we do with his offer of salvation? 
you know, the guys that have been baptized today, you know, they've been testifying to receiving that offer of salvation, to saying yes to that offer of forgiveness, that yes to that offer of life and relationship extended to them by Jesus because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. That offer, know me, come and love me, let, come and live in my love, come and do life with me because I love you. The first dimension to that standing in front of God's throne will be, did you accept his offer? What did you do with his offer and did you accept it? And it will be a simple yes or no. And if the answer is yes, we know that the Bible says we will be welcomed into God's home, into his house to live with him forever. Wish we could talk about that because it's going to be epic. But then there will be, you know, that's part of what these books are about. There will be a second judgment for those who have said yes. A second judgment for those of us who profess to follow him. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. I actually don't think I've got it for the screen. It says this. We must all stand. Here we go again. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So that's separate to what did you do, guys, with my offer of life, with my offer of relationship? For those of us that have said yes, it's like, right, what did you do with your life? How did you live? That's what the second dimension of judgment is going to be about. And the Bible makes it perfectly clear that Jesus will reward us for the things that we have done. Now, that word reward, I'm well aware, is a trigger for some Christians. It's like, oh, we can't talk about rewards. We live under grace. Everything we're given is given by God's kindness. You know, we can't earn anything from God. And yes, it is true that we can't do anything to earn God's love. We can't do anything to earn this offer of salvation. We can only receive it. But we absolutely can do all kinds of things to earn the rewards that Jesus talks about in the New Testament and that Paul talks about in the New Testament. So many of you are parents in here. When my kids were little, I used to love giving them all kinds of rewards, you know, for some of the things that they did, you know, when they were particularly good or when they'd been particularly kind to each other or when they'd responded really well to something. I used to love giving them rewards. They loved receiving them. I love giving them. You know, I know we all do that in our families. It's how we're wired as humans. Well, God is a generous father. He's a much better parent than me. And he loves to bless us with rewards. And because he wants to bless us with rewards, he wants us to know, you know, how we can earn some of those rewards. So let me encourage you. If you've got an issue with the fact that the Bible talks about rewards and the fact that we are going to be rewarded for some of the things that we have done while we are here on earth, let me encourage you to stick that word into Bible Gateway or into Google and look at the 27 references to the word reward just in the New Testament. Because the Bible has a lot to say about them. And friends, these rewards will make a difference to how we experience eternity. That's what the Bible says. 
So let's remember that eternity in heaven is going to make life on earth and our time here feel like it was an absolute flash in the pan. So, for some of you here this morning who actually feel, you're walking with the Lord, but you're going through a bit of a, a dry patch with him and you maybe feel a bit unseen by him, let me encourage you. He sees you. He sees you this morning. And you're not going to be rewarded by how many great things you're doing for him at the moment or you've done for him. You're going to be rewarded for the small things that you're doing at the moment just because you love him, just because you trust him, and just because you are seeking to obey him. So that time that you were ridiculed because of your love for him, but you turned the other cheek and you didn't defend yourself, he saw that. And he says there'll be a reward for it in heaven. That sacrifice of money you gave, that you thought, shall I, shan't, I can't really afford to give it, but I will because I love you, Jesus. He says there's treasure in heaven because of that gift. That risk you took, that opportunity you turned down, that person in poverty that you chose to bless when you didn't have to, the price you paid to forgive that person that actually you wanted to get your own back on, that time you made for him. Jesus says when you go into your room and you shut the door, your father will reward you. Your reward is waiting. For all those choices, those small hidden choices that you make because you love him and because you want to obey him. Anything we invest here, anything we give up here, everything we do here, just because we want to obey his voice and demonstrate our love for him, it will be rewarded in heaven when we stand before him on that day, which should be, friends, the most huge encouragement to us. I hope that's a real encouragement to you this morning. Why else does he tell us this stuff? Because he wants us to buy into it. He wants us to be in the know so that we can live accordingly. I know some of you in here, you've given up the opportunity for marriage because God, you know, for whatever reason, didn't bring along the right person and you chose to remain single for him. Some of you have given up the choice to get revenge when you really wanted to make somebody pay for the way that they'd wounded you. Some of you have turned down a better income in order to live with the commitments and the priorities that you felt Jesus was asking you to live with. Some of you have endured backlash because you've shared your faith, you've you know, stuck your faith for Jesus on the line, or because you've refused to compromise your integrity. Some of you have, uh, I know, some of you have turned down opportunities you know, for promotion or to move to different places because it would have compromised your ability to be the parent that you wanted to be or have the marriage that you wanted to have. Some of you have given up free time, you know, that you would have loved to spend on other things in order to serve him and to serve his family. Some of you have continued to praise him. I've watched you through your darkest valleys when that sacrifice of praise has cost you. Some of you have just kept going in the utter darkness, choosing to trust him day after day when you don't know where he is and what he's doing. 
And the, and the father says, I see you. I've taken note. I see you. And there will be a reward. There will be a reward for those choices in heaven. Friends, the Holy Spirit pulls back a curtain here for Daniel to catch a glimpse of what's coming, what's in the distance, what's down the road. It's, it's a spiritual reality made visible to Daniel so that he could resist living with a short-sighted focus in his day-to-day and have one eye set on the long term. He's done the same for us. Um, one or two of you might have had some amazing visions. I'd love some more. <laughs> Daniel had this incredible vision. We've got the Bible, friends. He's written it down for us in the Bible. We don't have to have a vision like this. We just need to open the pages of Scripture because he's told us what's coming and what we can expect. In his book, I know some of you enjoy reading Max Lucado, prolific writer. In his book, When Christ Comes, he wrote this. You could be certain that you won't regret any sacrifice you made for the kingdom. Well, of course, he's right, isn't he? But I think I would want to add we might well regret the sacrifices that we could have made for the kingdom and didn't. I don't know. So friends, let's encourage each other as we finish you know, this kind of mini-series on courageous resistance. We'll come back to it later on this year. Let's encourage each other to resist that short-sighted living that the world encourages us to live with, that now is all we've got, that here is all there is. So let's throw all our money at now, making life more comfortable and more enjoyable and more pleasurable and uh, to go on for as long as possible. Let's resist that short-sightedness and encourage each other to keep one eye on the long term, the long distance. We've got this life, we've got one life, friends, on fallen earth. We've got one life here, and I know we all want to make that life count, but let's not miss the opportunity, you know, to invest in heaven. Let's be asking Jesus, let's be asking the Holy Spirit to make what will be so important in the moment that we're standing there. You know, it'll suddenly become super important. Let's be asking him, you know, in these next few days to make that more important to us now so that we're resisting short-sighted living and keeping one eye in the distance of eternity.